Welcome to another episode of On the Issues with Alain Ben-Mir. Today's guest is Viola Rebecca, a psychoanalyst, human rights activist, founder of Rape, A History of Shame Project, and author of the book Rape, A History of Shame, Diary of the Survivors. A credentialed psychoanalyst, she has over 23 years clinical experience working with trauma, PTSD, war rape survivor syndrome, and transgenerational trauma, and has conducted field work on the consequences of sexual violence during war in Rwanda, Congo, Tanzania, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, and South Africa. In this episode, Alan and Viola discuss transgenerational trauma, particularly in relation to sexual violence, societal reactions to rape and rape victims, the difficulties of sharing experiences on personal and cultural levels, and her family's personal experience with sexual violence and transgenerational trauma stemming from her grandmother's experience during the Holocaust. The subject you're dealing with is a painful one. Oh, yes. Uh, Another one painful story. It's actually a uh, huge pain. Yeah. It's, it's a huge pain. And, and uh, 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 I, I deal quite a bit with the human rights issues. Mm-hmm. I cannot say that I've been dealing a, a lot with uh, rape, specifically in war times. Um, so what you wrote in your book seemed very, very, not only necessary, it's pertinent, and it should be re- really read widely, specifically in countries where rape is seen as a stigma, yeah. and sadly, if not very tragically, the victim itself, herself, became victimized further by the, because of the culture and because of the, um, mostly the culture, specifically, I, I'd say, you know, my experience in the Arab countries, unfortunately, attest to that. Your experience, uh, as well in the in the, in the Balkans, specifically the, the predominated Muslim state in the in the Balkans as well. So uh, I would love to hear your take on a number of issues, and and um, uh, what it what prompted you to begin with. Mm. I know this is something that touches the heart of every one who has feelings, yeah. and I know you have a tremendous amount of feelings and empathy and concern. So what prompted you to tackle this critically important subject that um, not too much has been written about, I should say. When I looked around before this, this conversation to see what else has been, not really not much has been tackled head on, this very, very painful issue. That's true. Thank you for the invitation. That is an honor to be here and share with you my experience and knowledge and uh, observation. So, of course, the beginning of the story is my personal story related to my family past. I'm coming from the Jewish, Polish-Jewish family. My grandmother survived uh, Ravensbrück Naziskam. She was one of the Rabbits of Ravensbrück, they were conducted uh, experiments on young women. She was one of them. And during the liberation, unfortunately, on April uh, 3rd, 1945, she was gang raped by the Russian soldiers who came in this specific time, in this specific part of the camp, they will liberate her. So... My family is deeply affected by entire Holocaust, of course, but this event uh, brought to our lives, like for the next generation, I am the third generation of the survivors of Holocaust and sexual violence during the war. 
mark deep trauma. We call this, because I am a clinician, I am working as a therapist for years, I am a psychoanalyst, so I'm really deeply involved in this topic, more from the psychological perspective and point of view. So we call this kind of consequences when the trauma is affecting next generation, transgenerational trauma. So I am a survivor of transgenerational trauma related to the sexual violence. So my right. own experience makes me feel like I want to know, I want to understand, I want to find the answer why that's happening all over the world almost to everyone who experiencing war right i want to ask you from there based on your own experience when you talk about transgenerational trauma which is passing from one generation to the next obviously in your own experience how does that manifest itself going back to your mother or your parents and then come to you that is how your parents have handled that, because the way obviously the way they handled it has impacted on your thinking, mm-hmm. on your uh, feelings about the whole subject. So I grew up in Poland, post-war Poland, um, and uh, in my family, because of the show of uh, of the consequences of Holocaust, yes. we didn't talk about Holocaust itself. This topic exists between us, and it was obvious what's happened for many of reasons, but also because almost everyone in Poland somehow was affected by the Second War. So the Holocaust experience was familiar for everybody. But in my specific uh, uh, family, we didn't talk about identity. We didn't talk about Jewish identity. We didn't talk what's really happened during the war. Uh, my grandmother, she was, of course, what is obvious, she was deeply traumatized and she picked some specific way to navigate her life. She didn't talk much. She didn't uh, share her stories. She didn't ask questions. She didn't explore anything. She lived inside herself entire That's life. Right trying to survive, I can say that right now, after years. And of course, that's affected my mother, who was really focused on herself. She was somehow unable to build close, emotional, loving relationship. But in the same time... With whom? Close relationship with whom? With my mother, my mother. She was really close emotionally. But my grandmother used to say to me, uh, you need to understand. That's what I was hearing entire childhood. So it was somehow obvious for me, like I need to try to understand more than, you know, just regular daily life routine and some rituals. So I I was almost from the beginning, I was, uh, uh, you know, convinced like I will proceed with a psychology, maybe social work, and I will try to find out the psychological answer to many things that affect my family, specifically my grandmother, mother, and myself. So I, after my high school, I went through with uh, social work, and I started working as a therapist with a traumatized population. Right. So when, when we talk about transgenerational um a trauma, uh, and there are the implications of, of course that. 
uh, how, how did it manifest itself uh, in your mother's behavior to begin with? And how did you convey that, be that expressly so or by implication? How did you get uh, from her? Because obviously it passed from her mother to you, to your mother, to you. Now, how did you, how did she, did she speak about it more openly to, to you? Did she, or she just deduce from her behavior and her attitude what you have deduced subsequently? So, uh, in my, like, psychological environment, it was silence and shame. So, yeah. we didn't talk much about uh, emotion. We didn't talk about past. We didn't plan the future. We didn't exchange any history of my family. I was growing up in a house without any belongings, memora, without any stories. Like, uh, as you know, Poland is Catholic country, some particular tradition, especially during the Christmas time. So uh, I was raised a way where I was thinking for a really long time, like some particular dinner on December 24th is just happening only in TV because we didn't follow this tradition. But in the same time, nobody talked about that. So I was kind of like in the limbo, like, you know, I cannot belong to this environment, like a Polish people environment. But in the same time, I don't have my own family tradition and nobody is talking about that. So that is so specific, psychological, you know, attitude and approach when you feel it like a lot, but you cannot express this or ask questions or find answers. So so that was basically a sort of uh, intended effort, not necessarily effort, but it was deliberate uh, without unconscious deliberate uh, um, attitude or position not to speak about it and let it be. Yes. And that's how it was left. So you you went from that to, to look into um, the rape that uh, that occurs during war, and obviously that was your mother, grandmother's experience. Uh, let, let, let me let go back to more little specific. What happens in Kosovo, for example? Uh, you have studied that. Yes. What, what what some of the uniqueness that you have been able to draw from that mm-hmm. from the war <clears throat> between Serbia and uh, and Kosovo. Mm-hmm. So um, um, most of my career I spent uh, doing research, um, providing therapy, uh, trying to figure it out meanings of consequences of trauma in Africa. I spent a lot of time, like almost 11 years around many different countries in this continent. However, I was fully aware of the war in Balkans because Balkans, they are... Uh, close neighbor of Poland, and I was kind of following the war in my uh, early 20s. So, um, like a few years ago, I was able to make close contact with the Kosovo Rehabilitation Center for the Torture Victims, this Mm -hmm. specific uh, NGO in Kosovo, who is providing... um, a lot of holistic support and um, treatment for the survivors of sexual violence, especially Dr. Faridat Rushidi. And we started cooperating. So I find like uh, their experience is pretty unique for many of reasons. This is 
small country uh, who is really focused on the healing process, also because of the uh, cultural and uh, religion background, right? As is really right. important, it's mostly it's Muslim country where the position of woman is really specific. They need to be quiet and uh, they are not bringing or they didn't bring a lot of their experience to the discussion, especially public discussion. So I find out like uh, their role drastically changed after the war and uh, they are speaking up, they are standing up. Uh, This sexual violence is a topic, like a national topic. I don't think so, like I can compare experience from Kosovo, even uh, knowing right now, like, of course, they are struggling with uh, a lot of obstacles and challenges and misunderstanding and uh, problems. But I think this is only one country when this topic is explored really deep in the deep. deep And it's being done publicly now? Yes, they are. So I was able to uh, go to Kosovo last October 2021. I was invited because of my book. I am an author of the book, Rape, A History of Shame, Diary of the Survivors. And part of the book is dedicated to the survivors of sexual violence during the war in Kosovo, especially in Kosovo, in 1998, 1999. That's right. And uh, I was invited by the uh, uh, Kosovo Rehabilitation uh, uh, Center Torture Victims. I met Prime Minister Kurti, uh, uh, who was joining me for my book presentation. So it was a huge honor to meet him in person and also to give him my own book with my de- dedication. So he is big supporter, and um, the fact like he was able to came and join this discussion about international meanings of the consequences of the sexual violence. Also, he brought this uh, really important point of view about specific in their specific country in Kosovo. And he is also like active supporter of any kind of activity to change social perception of the uh, uh, about the consequences of sexual violence. I really don't think so. Like it's any other country where you know, like uh, in the government level, people trying to really rebuild understanding and perception of of the consequences of sexual violence. So I'm right. a huge fan of Kosovo. Uh-huh. personally and i really i really think like they are doing like entire country is doing an amazing work around this topic in this context uh, what was the extent of uh, women being raped during the war with with serbia and how many of these women came forward mm-hmm. and actually were open to speak about it mm-hmm. without any kind of quote unquote retribution from either outside or from within the families themselves? So the number of uh, reported cases is approximately 20,000 wow, of the cases, you know, what we know currently. However, when you're following the statistics of, of sexual violence, you need to be aware like the cases what the victims or survivors report, this is only 5 to 7% of the real number. So that's mean, like, probably we still don't know about 95, maybe even 
97% uh, of the cases. This is always like that. The, the uh, um, uh, sexual violence is unreported. Mostly but, unreported. 20,000 20, were reported? Yes. 20,000 were reported. And obviously the, the, the real number it's is... additional now unknown yeah. number, yes. probably higher. And, yes. and how, how the, these, the, the women who reported that, how were they generally being treated? <sighs> this is like a slow process of changing uh, social perception because we know people who are working in this field, they are fully aware like uh, rape is still associated with shame and stigma. So to really speaking up openly about their own experience, they need to feel grounded and supported. The support is often not coming from the family members because it's still difficult to move forward to the families with understanding of the consequences of sexual violence. But many of NGOs, especially because I know this the best from my own experience and cooperation, Kosovo Rehabilitation Center, a torture victim, is really trying to support in many levels, like government levels, legal level, a medical level, psychologically, also providing some other kind of advocacy and uh, other kind of support systems. So because when you're talking about consequences of sexual violence, we need to be aware, like the consequences, they are really uh, complicated, complex. It's many layers. This is not like, you know, someone went through with sexual violence is struggling with only trauma. No, is struggling with problem from the society, is struggling with reparation, lack of reparation, is struggling with legal system, is struggling with uh, uh, social support. So almost every level of, of uh, victims of sexual violence is affected by this event. So, so this is what I mentioned to you earlier. Then, the 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 tragedy about this whole thing is that the victim becomes further victimized because of, uh, like we said, you know, culture, religion, and and um, and this is happening obviously more in countries uh, where. Um, do you feel that where? And I don't want to stigmatize Islam because I I don't have that kind of position on any of the religion. I respect all religions. But do you feel that there is a difference between various, um, obviously there's differences between cultures. We understand that. Do you think religion play different kind of role, be that it's a Christian versus Muslim versus Jewish, or you have not made that kind of distinction? So I would like to say like a monotheistic religion are not supportive in this case uh, i don't think so like particularly one of religion as you know you know i'm a jew i was born in poland that's catholic country but this is similar approach like uh nobody who survived holocaust experience related to the sexual violence didn't receive any kind of support during this time uh, because of many of reasons, of course. Historically speaking, nobody really understood uh, trauma consequences and more communism and other stuff. However, I think like after my travel all over the places, I can say where the particular country is really focused and following one God 
is kind of specific approach towards women, usually without uh, support and understanding of women's struggle, because as we know, mostly women and girls are subjected to the sexual violence. And how do you compare then that's your experience with in African nations? That is here, one is in Europe, the other one is in Africa. What are the similarities? What are the differences, both in the, uh, how they treat the, the victim themselves and the, the, the level of openness to deal with it affected, mm-hmm. you know, more openly? So one thing is universal. Almost every single survivor of victim, victim and survivor, is struggling with shame, internalized shame. Survivors of sexual violence, they feel responsible for, for this event. That is some kind of, you know, cultural consequences, how we as a society uh, understand uh, what does mean really, what does mean uh, sexual violence. So shame is universal. However, is some differences. I was able to discover, like in many languages, for example, in Swahili, this is East Coast, East uh, African Coast language, yeah. or uh, in Rwanda, Kirwanda, or in Sudan, in this specific area, in this specific also languages, the word rape doesn't exist. So how you can... Describe your own experience and share your trauma with anyone if you cannot use the specific word to address what's happened to you. So the word did not exist or is it banned from being used? In many, in many, like uh, if you will read one of the stories from my book, this is the story about Sudanian uh, a girl who was able to move as a refugee to Norway. And uh, when she started learning uh, Norwegian, she discovered a specific word. Part of the story is related to this. Like she finally find out how she can describe her own experience because in her language, of course, because of also about cultural approach and understanding and lack of support to explore this topic. That's, is, you know, language is built by culture. That's it's not itself like a tool, but uh, still, uh, still uh, in her particular native language, this description doesn't exist. So when she moved to Norway and she find out like, you know, Norwegian is saying clearly what is mean to be rape and what is mean to be a victim or survivors of sexual violence, she find out like the way how to start build her own story, her own narrative to share with other people her sexual violence experience. Right. As you as a psychoanalyst, you you met people, you met women who've been raped. But you probably, I, I'm sure you met people uh, who are not themselves victims of rape, but they carry the stigma. That is, they feel that, they, they feel ashamed themselves, even though, say, a father or a brother or an uncle. Do you, do you have a chance to speak to these individuals to try to understand why they feel the stigma, why they feel ashamed that this actually happened in their family? It's a really important question because generally responsibility after socially 
responsibility after rape is placed on the victim's shoulder. Even when we're following English, right? Like uh, when we're trying to understand description around rape. Boys uh, can be a boys, right? Like uh, why you wearing the short skirt? Why you went in the, in the evening to the bar? Why you get drunk? And more and more and more. So uh, shaming and blaming victims builds specific uh, 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 atmosphere around rape where the victim is a suspicious one, not the rapist. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's a tragic aspect of, of rape because whenever the victim, the victim becomes twice victim. Yes. Because of the rape itself and being victimized further because of the rejection, the unacceptability of being raped and and, and, um, and they feel that shame, like you said. Now, the, the have you seen it? For example, you, you mentioned, you know, if you go to a bar, you get drunk, you can commit something, well, that's your problem. Uh, but in this particular case, in mean, the case of rape, uh, the, the, the women, the girls, have not invited anyone to come and rape them, obviously. Yeah. Uh, that is why it's called rape, rather than having a sexual, consensual relationship. So, so have you paid, you know, focus on that di- dimension? That is, how is, it, how is it in the mind of anyone who is, who is rational, logical, to think in terms of here we have a, a woman, young woman, who was basically helpless, could not do anything about it, um, obviously easily over, overwhelmed by a, a, a man who's far stronger, not to speak of several for that matter. And then again, the, the father, the mother, the, the brother, mostly the male relative or outside male, who are the one who feel she is the, she is the one to blame. How far did you go in your investigation trying to understand their mindset? Yeah, that's, that's actually fascinating uh, question and also a lot of fascinating story around. So a part of my research I was conducting uh, and um, I was working with uh, Zenica Medical Center from Sarajevo and uh, Sabia Husic, who is the director of the center. She's a Muslim therapist, doctor who is working with survivors. And also she's working with the children who was born as a result of rape in this specific area, mostly with Bosnian women. So she shared with me a lot of story of survivors from this area, mostly religious uh, uh, Muslim women who uh, were raped by, by Serbian army and they were struggling with, of course, consequences. So probably you know about, in this specific area, about coffee ritual, right? Like uh, coffee is big things. I love coffee. Yeah. So I, I was like, is it related to the story? So everything what you want to understand, what you want to discuss is around coffee. It's like a coffee right. ritual, right? So she told me a lot of story when some Muslim religion woman uh, came to her looking for some support and advice and they were requesting some deeper uh, intervention, like a family intervention. They went 
with rape, they never share this experience with their loved ones, especially with um, uh, husbands and family members, because they were uh, afraid like they will be expelled and removed from the family. What happens? That is happening. That is still the issue for many of, of survivors of sexual violence. So Sabia uh, is proceeding when she receiving this kind of case, coffee ritual. She is meeting with entire family. She is after you know introduction, drinking coffee. Right. She she's sharing like why they meet, like is some painful story what need to be named and discussed in this family. However, is a lot of fear and. Uh, kind of uh, of of the hesitation, how the family will react to to it. So, she told me the story, uh, uh, especially about one family when they said like they are aware, especially husband. He was fully aware what's happened to his wife. He never talked to wife about that, and during this coffee ritual, he told you know loudly about his guilt, like he feel guilty, like he wasn't able to help her wife, his wife. He wasn't able to be a man. He wasn't able to, you know, protect entire family. And right now, because he's struggling with his own guilt and shame, it's somehow easier to blame a victim than, you know, to navigate and understand all this complicated process related to the emotion. So I am huge, again, a fan of Sabia work because she is really working like groundwork, you know, talking about something what never before in this community, in this society was a topic of the discussion. Right. Right. right? Yeah, this, that's very, very interesting. So that, that's the, one of the points I wanted to explore in terms of to the extent to which relative of the victim themselves feel guilty, uh, feel uh, not necessarily ashamed, but they feel ashamed, but feel very guilty for actually having the feeling of shame. When that's 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 the essence of it. That is, I feel guilty because I feel ashamed because what happened to my wife or what happened to my daughter. As as a as a one who deal with the psychology, now how would you Treat a person like that. What would you say to a person like that? That is to to do two things: alleviate his or her guilt to begin with, or and or um, begin to mitigate the shame that they actually feel. So, um, I'm working on the field over twenty years, and I know like uh, psychology is not uh, the most useful understanding and set skills everywhere, especially in some specific culture when uh, people mostly connected to God and they are not really open to share their feelings for many of reasons. And that is, I think, like, you know, like Muslim religion, where especially where men, they are not in the position socially and culturally to really open up and share their feelings and weaknesses. So my experience is like uh, when I I need to be aware about this cultural context 
and I cannot force anything. So when I know, like, I cannot address the way what is more, you know, what I'm more most familiar, the, the, the therapy way, I think what really working well for, for the people who are struggling with consequences of family members is to support family, and not family only, society around the topic. So provide more information, talk to the iman, try to organize uh, other activity where you slowly rebuilding understanding around the topic instead forcing, you know, idea of the psychotherapy. Psychotherapy is working only for people who believe in psychotherapy, right? right. If you don't believe, that is uh, you, you, not useful skill. That, that's right. Now, you, you mentioned that when you went to Kosovo, you met with the Prime Minister Kurti, and uh, he obviously supported your work. And um, did he make any particular statement? Did he speak in public about your work? Did yeah. he say anything? Uh, to what extent he was actually open about it and encouraged the society, encouraged the Kosovars? You know, this is an issue we have experienced as a nation. It was rampant. Only 20,000 reported, but perhaps there were 100,000 for that matter than been affected by horrifying war. To what extent do you think he is supportive of this? And to what extent he's encouraging, encouraging the, the, this, the community to be more open to understand the plight, the, the, the tragedy that may, this, these many women have experienced? So... Uh... He's a big supporter of, of uh, the idea of the transgenerational trauma and prevention, because as we know, um, a trauma can be passed to the next generation. Already, Kosovo uh, Rehabilitation Center uh, completed some first, first worldwide research, like epigenetic research. Uh, they were interviewed 118 women who went through with, uh, sexual violence during the war with the um, uh, university in Copenhagen and uh, university in Australia in Sydney. So they find out like uh, people who went through, they are showing because respond to the complex trauma affecting your body. This is not only psychological consequences after mm -hmm. rape, Right. and complex trauma related to war, your body is struggling in the physiological level regarding the, the, the consequences. So uh, Prime Minister Kurti is a huge fan of work on this particular topic to prevent. Because when we are talking openly about sexual violence, when we stopping uh, um, victimize or re-victimize uh, survivors, when we are uh, uh, removing stigma, when we are not shaming and blaming or only building understanding, that is prevention. And that can stop this epigenetic uh, uh, process. Because when someone who is already marked by the traumatic experiences can pass this experience to the next generation, but also pass by the um, kind of physiological tendency to the specific illnesses, cancer, psychosomatic uh, uh, illnesses, and many more. So that's in, from many levels, that is prevention to, to the uh, problems in the future. So... I know from the discussion, his presentation, like he's really 
uh, interest in this topic and uh, he's supporting any efforts to support a uh, 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 country. Uh, to what extent, because I'm interested in the public reaction, to what extent this subject was covered after he's a prime minister, he spoke on, in support of this uh, very important subject. Uh, was it that well covered in, in Kosovo and by the, by the media? Yes, yes. I was I was interviewed by by uh, other journalists. They, actually, that's that's is you know all over uh, still all over um, now. Social media, also Google. You can see a, a few interview after this presentation, book presentation. His comments. He actually he was able to give a speech like fifteen minutes about the topic and my book. So. It wasn't just a visit. He was really involved uh, personally. Very interesting. Uh, let me ask you, uh, is the book uh, being translated to Albanian? Not yet, but that is the process. We, yeah, we, we're thinking like we, we want to translate this book openly, not only to Kosovo, of course, to Kosovo readers, but also to Albanian readers. Yeah, with Albanian, also in Albania itself uh, as a country. I mean, I'm, I want to tell you that I'll be happy to help in every any way you uh, you care I can, uh, by all means. Thank um, you. In terms of the translation as well as the publishing the book, because be to me, to me, this is an extraordinarily important subject. Uh, it happened in the past so many times, years, for centuries, for dozens of years, and it will continue to happen in the future. Uh, this is not some that's that's the plight of our. Um, Existence as such, which is which is uh, obviously shameful and tragic. Uh, you know, we can continue this for a long time, but I think I think we got the gist of what the important of, of your very important work that you've done, and uh, congratulate you for this exquisite work. Because uh, I, I say, if it helped only one young woman, it is as though you helped millions of them, because that's really what comes down to. Thank you again. Absolutely. We, we are staying in touch and probably we'll talk more about that. So thank you again for this opportunity. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Take good care. Thank you, you too. You guys Bye. stay safe. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.